The Lord be with you. And I want to continue where we left off last week. And there might be a little bit of overlap, but uh, I trust not very much. I I have realized uh, this week how this, the likes of this, is, is so healing. When we think of healing, God's healing, we think of the physical miracle. And I believe that. We lay hands on the sick for that to happen and see it happen. But I recognize that maybe especially in this time, 21st century, how many diseases are directly caused by what we're talking about. Anxiety is at the root of so many diseases. I have to say that this text that we're looking at is essential healing. In fact, I believe there are certain physical diseases that all the prayers in the world will not touch the exterior disease until this, which is an inward interior disease, a mental emotional disease, which actually causes physical effect. And so as we go into this, especially this part of it, this is a healing message. And I believe that the healing power of the Spirit is in these words. And so let's read it one more time from First Peter and chapter 5, and we include verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And we spent a lot of time talking about the cares, the anxieties that need to be cast upon him. And the central truth, which I have to emphasize yet again, very briefly anyway, the central truth of this text is that he cares for you. You see, there's, there's no casting care upon him until we know that he cares for us. Our casting of care upon him is our response to the unconditional, incredible love that he has for us. And not in some general sense, but in the very details of life, which are the seedbed of anxiety. Now, the question arises in uh, most people's minds at some point, how can, and I weigh my words now, how can God, the almighty creator and upholder of the entire universe, How can he even know of the details of our life? And and that's an honest question. Let's get it out in the open. How can I talk to him about uh, the price of food in relation to my wages? How can I share with him 
that I need to buy clothes for the kids uh, because they're, you know, getting too big for their shoes. And I mean, they are details. How can I sit down with God in prayer and talk to him about taxes? You know, how can I talk to him about what she said and he said at the water fountain at, at the office? How can I talk to him about that person at work that is becoming a pressure upon my you get it how can i how can i talk to him about that i mean when i think of the word god which means almighty but then add on to it almighty god almighty how, how can i expect him how many times have i heard it that that you know god is is utterly concerned with upholding the galaxies and the whole planetary system how can he possibly how can he possibly in, in reality it's not a fantasy how can he possibly know and care about what's happening in my microscopic life you see there, right there, you come up against, or shall I say, plunge into the the good of the good news. You see, what what is the difference between what we're saying and what other religions of the world would say? We have here that which is unique, which makes this the gospel which means the goodest news you've ever heard. It means the good, the glad, merry, ready-to-dance mood of, of, of news that is going to transform your life. Well, what is that? It is that this God, yes, the one who made all things and upholds all things by the word of his power, that God became one of his own creatures. God actually entered into our human flesh. Or to put it this way, the fact he was in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that he was actually born through a birth canal, that he was a babe at the breast of the Virgin. Do, do you understand? That's his passport into our humanity, into our human race. Our God has got a human face. He became one of us and authentically one of us. He joined us in this life, which means that at every stage of life, he, he knew the pressures of what it means to be alive inside the human race. He faced, <laughs> hear it, he faced, he felt every detail of life that we experienced. And, of course, he was not born into a super-rich family. He was born in a third-world country, in, in a backside of nowhere town. Um, he, he, he had no luxury. He experienced pressures that some of us have never known. He faced every detail of life that anybody in the sound of my voice 
experience. That he, he lived in a real family. Don't be put off by, by those uh, religious art pictures, however um, artistically beautiful they are. Uh, don't, don't, they, they don't teach you. They, they, they're, they're not giving you the truth of the Scripture where everybody's floating around with lights around their head. Um, that's not my family, and it's not yours either. Well, no, nor was it Jesus' family. It was a real family, a real family, where he interacted with real parents, with Mary, his mother, and Joseph, the supposed father, who was a, a certainly acted father, he interacted with neighbors, and neighbors in any time in history, in any place in the world, are neighbors. <laughs> he owned a business, and he owned a business at a time in history where it was unbelievably difficult because the Roman uh, Empire had conquered uh, Israel, and therefore they had put in the most oppressive taxes especially on business owners. But on top of that, because it was Israel, there was the temple tax, which kept all the priests in business. It, it was, I mean, yes, if you've ever sat there over your IRS, turning pages, wondering what is going on and where you'll get the money, can you, can you understand that God himself in Jesus knows what it's like to look at tax and to know it's got to be paid, to interact with those neighbors. So, so he, God, this God I'm talking about, who has become flesh in Jesus, he, he was a member, a genuine member of a genuine family, an extended family. We read in the Scripture his cousins and relatives are, and and he went to a real school. Can you imagine going to school with this one? Teenager, feeling the pressures and, and feeling what it's like to be a teenager, awakening to being an adult. He, he went there and it's recorded in Luke 2. Uh, he was an apprentice to his own father and that's got problems. Became the business owner. Oh, yeah. He became absolutely one, seamlessly one, with our human situation, tasting the darkness and the bitterness of our fallenness, but with the difference, the massive difference, the unbelievable difference, that he lived by faith. Have you ever thought of that? If he's a genuine human, he didn't just know this stuff. No, if he's a genuine human, that's what he came to do, to, to mark out a new pathway of how humans were created to live. He lived by faith, trusting in his Father's constant love. God the Father, in his constant love, and the grace and supply of his Father who loved him. He lived minute by minute, facing every temptation, facing every darkness, every pressure to knock him off that trail. But the scripture in the end of, of Luke chapter 2 speaks of how he hacked a path that had never been walked before. 
where he lived by faith, trusting in God the Father, his constant love. He refused to capitulate and follow fallen Adam. He was 110% human, as human was always intended to be. So that means, and maybe you've never thought of this before, if that be the case, then he lived the perfect, positive fullness of mental and emotional health. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus is the positive fullness of mental and emotional health. He lived it out, not in an ivory castle, not in a cave as some hermit, but right there in the middle of all the pressures that I've spoken of. That's our God. You, you, you wanted to know about God Almighty? Well, I've just told you. God is almighty in love, and therefore almighty love refused to leave us alone. He came and joined us, and joined us properly. He so joined us, he still is in the heavens at the right hand of the Father, true man, human. So, why would God do this? For no reason at all except you. And you've got to get that. That's part of the goodest news you've ever heard. God had no reason to be here. Come on. God is complete in his perfect self from unbeginning. Why would he have to come here? You know, you, you read many, many of the books, uh, Christian books, and, and they've got some beautiful things to say, but they, they always talk about this sovereign God, this God who's up and away and remote, you know, and he created you, so grovel, you creature. But that, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that he became one of us so that he would know you say, well, God knows everything. Well, he knows everything, but in Jesus Christ, God experienced. He knew by personal experience. He felt the pressures of being human. And the only reason, the only reason he did it, it was solely for you and for me. That he in himself, in this genuine humanity, he might reveal to us our blueprint. Yes, Jesus didn't come to mock us and sort of live ten feet above the ground and say, now spend the rest of your life trying to be like me. If you believe that, you'll be as miserable as thousands of other Christians. No, no, no Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to show us... This is the new creation. This is the blueprint that was there at the beginning that Adam screwed up. Now the blueprint himself comes to dwell among us. And now he, as genuine human, facing what we feel and overcoming it by consistent, continual living in faith, receiving the love and faithfulness of his Father. 
So he's not a remote God that we're trying to explain to him what it feels like to be human. You ever thought about that? That would cut out a lot of alleged prayers. You don't, you don't have to try and convince God that you're living in this miserable state. He's already been here. Look around. You see his footprints. He's already entered into the deepest darkness of our being. And when he did that, the finale, when he finally went to the very heart of our problems, and he bore our sin, all our deepest error of our hearts, he became that. He became us. He took us. And he took all the results of our fallenness and brokenness. And that includes grief and sorrow. I don't know if I've ever heard a a sermon on this. Um, Jesus didn't only bear our sin. He also bore all the results of sin which come in Scripture under the double head of grief and sorrow. And I might throw in, without going into detail, grief and sorrow are okay translations of the Hebrew words. But you've got to leave the doors open because it's a lot more than grief and sorrow. Um, It means um, physical, yeah, this is, you can check this in any Hebrew dictionary. These two words, they, they speak to the physical sickness and disease. So when he bore our grief and our sorrow, you have to include physical sickness and disease. But also it is mental and emotional. Well, actually, the words are very strong. I I would say uh, mental and emotional anguish. It means the deepest pain in our emotions. It, It means the utter darkness of our mind. These are potent words, grief and sorrow. And it shows me Jesus is not bearing sin only. He became sin for us. The very sin of the entire race meets upon Jesus. But also all of our mental, emotional hurt and pain and brokenness and darkness, as well as our physical sickness and disease. Let me read to you now, now I've given you that definition, Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely, says the prophet Isaiah, our, our, I wish I had your name, I'd throw it in there. Our griefs, surely our griefs, our mental, our emotional, even our physical pain, our griefs, he himself bore, which means to embrace and take to yourself and make it yours. For our sorrows he carried. And he says, when we look, we, we, we thought, we esteemed him, 
We thought it looked like that he was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. No, he was pierced through for our trans our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being. And that word there, you might even know the word in Hebrew, the word there is shalom, shalom. For our shalom, that is the peace of God in our deepest spirit, in our mind and emotions and in the cells of our body. So, he says, all this he did was in order to give us well-being, shalom. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. That, that, that's the cross. That's the good news. That what we're talking about here, the cares, what are cares? It's that which brings me grief and sorrow. It causes pain of mind and emotions. Well, it's saying that in, in his death he carried that. It was cast upon him. And in resurrection, he left all of that in the tomb. And in his ascension through the Holy Spirit, he comes to us and puts his life inside of us. He puts his wholeness, his well-being, his shalom in his attitude. It says in the New Testament, he gives us his mind gives us the mind of Christ. Let this attitude be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Look, Christianity is not trying to be like Jesus. That's a lie. You can't try and be like Jesus. No, the, the good news is that Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, puts himself inside of you so that we know, we know, the peace of God. And where do you know the peace of God? In your emotions and in your mind, as well as in your body. And he says it, it says it passes, it's the peace of God, and it passes human understanding, comprehension. Jesus himself said, My, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is what it means that human eyes have never seen this. Oh, they, they've seen all the example stuff, you know, try and be like. But no, they've never seen this miracle that he puts himself inside you. This is what it means that ear has never heard this. No preacher had preached this until the New Testament. It's, it's such a life that it had never entered into the heart of the human it says the Holy Spirit actualizes that. So what is the kingdom of God? It says in Romans fourteen seventeen, as plain as it can, that the kingdom of God is righteousness. And that means to walk in step, putting your feet in the same footsteps as Jesus. That's the meaning of righteousness. Righteousness and peace, shalom, and joy, which isn't being happy. This is joy. It's another realm. Joy in the Holy Spirit. So you see, we begin by casting our care upon Him in response 
to his limitless care of us in that he's already entered into the very pulse beat of the human race and taken our care in his own body, knowing it himself, into death, finish it, done, leave, grin, and risen from the dead and through the Holy Spirit, he comes and puts himself inside of you. It's done. Therefore, I say again, casting our care is a response to that which is already there. It's done. Or as he said in the Old Testament, was it Isaiah 60-something, where he says, before they call, I will answer. The answer comes first. (laughs) The, the, The asking for it comes second. Cast. I think I said this last week. Um, the word is a very strong word. It means to throw. It means to hurl. In fact, it, it's um, probably hurl is 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 the best. It's got enough oomph in it. Uh, toss is what you would do with trash or unwanted paper. Put it in the garbage. I tell you. I'll, This is what it means. This is exactly what this word means. It means to throw, toss. It is the quick action of a moment. That that means it's not a long, drawn-out prayer, you know, reminding God that he created the world. No, no, no. It's it's toss it. it. It is hurl it away from you. One action, picking up the object, throwing it. That's what this word means cast that you you saw me do it there it's a definite i mean there was no doubt about it was it i threw it straight at you um it's definite and it's a complete act i did it it's over complete act and when i'm throwing my cares then i'm very enthusiastic about that um, in in fact, to do that, even that that silly thing of taking a piece of paper, but it was an emotionally charged, you know, I I, I you can't be blar about it. There's an enthusiasm. You're throwing it, emotionally charged, and it, I say again, if you're casting your care, and it's charged with joy, I, I I'm what I, I'm done with it. I, I'm finished with it. I put it away from me, ridding myself of of something I don't want. That wasn't an accident that I judged. It wasn't that I meant to lay it here and it went over there. No, I I very it was intentional. I threw it. It was focused straight at you. You see, that's the word cast. Don't forget that. It's a life-defining act. Bold courageous that the step the action by which you come to be who you already are in christ and it's it has in it that it's once for all casting care upon him that is it's not so much hour by hour and bit by bit but it's that moment in your life when you recognize that all anxiety, all anxiety, anxiety has a thousand faces, crops up in, I don't know, everywhere, but recognize all anxieties arise from the same source. They just have a different face. What we're, we're talking about here, you, do, have you got it? That he has taken 
Yes, your sin, that basic error of walking in the wrong direction. But he's also taken everything that resulted from that, what is called the grief and the sorrow, the pain, the hurt, the darkness that is in my mind and in my emotions. He's taken it. And he's risen out of it triumphant. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to bring that triumph into you. So, you've seen that? Well then, in a once-for-all fashion, we say, I'm done with it. We cast our care upon him. Uh, I, I recognize I'm not a God in myself. Satan is the liar. I am not alone to handle life. I am not responsible for all of life. I cast my care upon him. Done. You say then you're never anxious again. Oh, no, I didn't say that. No, the old anxieties will come like rats in the cellar. They gnaw and you hear their teeth gnawing. Well, you stop. You you don't let it go any further. Just the first feeling. You stop and you say, on this day, this day in March 2019, at this time, I cast my care upon him and that's it. It was done. And therefore these anxieties have no more power over me. Look, even if you're in the middle of a meltdown right now, don't wait for a better day. There's no such thing. In this moment, cast your care upon him away from you. That piece of paper left my hand left my hand. Now that's cast. It means that your anxiety has left your hand. It's landed elsewhere. And in this case, it's landed in his hands. Becomes his to deal with. It's as if I can hear his invitation. He's saying, it's okay, I got this. And I say, wonderful. This is, again, it's a great word of the gospel, the great transfer. You see, your sin, your brokenness was transferred from you to him and he transferred his forgiveness, righteousness to you. That's basic. Now I'm saying... Let the transfer, this great exchange, come filtering through all your life. I, I, I've given him all the results. Whenever I come across a result from sin, I say, in that one too. Uh, it's, it's, you see, it's become absolutely, genuinely, authentically his to handle. For he, God Almighty, this is the plan of God, the plan of love almighty, that he should take us and carry us through the cross to death, joined with him in resurrection and ascension right now. Where is he? 
Then, then what does he do with it? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Look, what, what does he do with it? I mean, there's no way here it tells me what he does. Well, in, in all this, we, you've got to understand we are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He's the one that, what he does with it, you've got to understand it's the Holy Spirit. You see, we must be aware. Please now hear me carefully. We must be aware that his care for us in carrying and taking our anxieties, his care for us is not necessarily, I was going to say is not, but there are times he does, but let's say usually it's not an exterior fixing of what is happening. You know, it doesn't mean that clothes appear in the cupboard. It doesn't mean that food appears on the table, though I have actually been in the experience where food has been multiplied. I mean, literally multiplied, the same as it was in the feeding of the 5,000. So I'm, I'm playing around here. He can do what he jolly well wants, and sometimes he totally transforms the whole situation. But but that would then speak for itself. But let, let's get down to the heart of it. For even when he does that, still there's this heart, the interior that he's got to deal with. So it's not necessarily the exterior fixing of what is happening. What does he do with it? He begins with us. We've cast our care upon him, and now he exchanges his own very self. And we recognize that where we were filled with anxiety, we are now filled with the perspective and attitude of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You see, um, so, so the problem could actually still be there, but we see it with inside eyes totally differently. We see it through his eyes, through his mind, his attitude, his wisdom, his understanding. Because he's giving, he is in process of giving to us his mental, emotional wholeness. And so the Holy Spirit manifests inside of us, through us, the fruit of God thought and God seeing. He puts in us the fruit of emotional and mental peace and joy. You, you've heard of that, haven't you? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and so on. Where, where does that show up? It begins in your imagination. It begins in your thought life. That's where love and peace and joy and kindness and goodness and patience and gentleness. That's where it begins there. has to begin there. So casting your care means that you now are going to change at your core and see all of this totally differently. He cares for you He not only takes your care, but now 
He opens your eyes to see who you are in relationship to him. Look, I don't know if you realized it, but Peter didn't write that. I should have told you that last week, I suppose. Peter didn't write that. He's quoting that. Peter quotes it from the book of Psalms. This originally was written in Psalm 55, verse 22, which is slightly different, but its difference is very, it throws light on this. It says there in Psalm 55, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And to be shaken would be a Hebrew way of seeing anxieties and fears. You know, you shake. Um, well, he says, you'll, you'll know I've dealt with your anxieties. It's, it should be taken without going into the whole of the psalm. But Psalm 55 was written in response to the very best friend that David ever had, betraying him when he was at his worst and lowest. Um, When David needed a friend more than he needed any other time, his best friend went over to his enemies and betrayed him, Um, became an Old Testament image of Judas betraying Jesus. And it was at that time that David wrote, cast your burden. Well, you can imagine the kind of thoughts and imaginations and the whole misery go round in his mind of betrayed by the only person he needed right then. Cast your burden upon the Lord. That's everything we've been talking about. He will sustain you. The, the Passion translation of this is good. He says, leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. So the word sustained there in that psalm, what does it mean? It, the origin of the word sustain is to hold up from below and therefore to support to hold or bear up. So it means to strengthen, to relieve or support someone physically or emotionally or mentally, to support them, to actually bring your strength to become their support. That's the dictionary meaning of the word sustain. So it can mean comfort, which means to give uh, give strength with. It means to bear the weight of another without falling down. Therefore, it means to encourage another in their day of trouble. It means to be a source or tower of strength, energy, and hope. It means, I'm still in the dictionary here, it means to keep the totality of your person, which I must say again includes your imagination, your thoughts, your your whole mental process, your emotions, it includes that. The totality of you, from giving way under pressure. pressure. It means to nourish you. It means to carry your weight, to maintain you and cause you to continue over an extended period. Huh. 
So it says that you're going to have an experience. You cast your care upon him, and then the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the sustainer. He upholds you. Isaiah spoke of this, and you can read the whole passage. In It's Isaiah 61 and the first three verses. Um, and I want you to read the whole passage. But there at the end... Um, it, it says that uh, he he came, and he's speaking of Jesus. Jesus quoted this and says it's about him. And he says, he came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. That that vengeance was against all the powers of Satan. He, he wreaked the wrath of God and vengeance upon all the demonic forces that had uh, broken the, the human race. But then he says, to comfort, to sustain all who mourn, those who are in the deep darkness of despair, to grant to those who mourn, giving them, now listen very carefully, giving them a garland, which, which means something like the gold medal of the Olympics was in those days, uh, put it around your head of, of, of flowers and leaves. Well, it says to give them the triumphant gold medal instead of ashes which people poured on themselves at funerals. Notice the word instead. It's the exchange we were talking about. It's, it's that, that great uh, turning. He, he gives you all that he has as you give him. It's instead of the oil of gladness, that oil that was poured upon a traveler when he was weary from the journey and they, they put this sweet-smelling oil um, and that, that actually, once it gets in your nose, it in, in strengthens your whole body. Well, it says the oil of gladness instead of mourning. There you have it again. An exchange takes place. You were in mourning, in despair, and the oil of God's gladness and joy turned everything around. And then he gives you the mantle of praise. He wraps you around in joy, thankfulness, and praise to him instead, there it is again, of a spirit of fainting, which is um, depression. It means when the very air is stagnant and it's a it's like saying an evil wind is blowing. Well, it's blown away. You're transformed. You see, when you cast your care upon him, he doesn't have us just watch from the bleachers and say, well, thank, thank you, that's awfully good of you. No, he never, he never does that. He always includes us. There's always the exchange. You were here. He took that. You said amen and gave it to him. Now he gives to you a totally new outlook on life, a new way of seeing. He, and, and he uses every detail of life to develop this relationship, all the way from sitting over your taxes to what they say about you at work to, to that pressure that you just, I, I, I can't handle that. Well, doesn't matter what we're talking about. Wherever there's anxiety, he will... You, you give it to him and he gives to you a new way of seeing, a new way of being. He changes 
us. He inside of us. He united with us, which is the the place of a genuine human. God inside me. God the Holy Spirit. Through God the Son, Jesus. At the glorious will and intention of God the Father. I say again, we don't sit in the bleachers and watch. It is for me to live is Christ. (laughs) Or I live, yet not I... I is Christ who lives inside of me. Or what about Philippians 4, 11? Um, boy, this, we could do a whole webinar on this one. Maybe we will. Paul says, I have learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I am, content means I'm not sitting here fretting, saying, I wish it was yesterday. Why did this happen? I wish I was there tomorrow. I wish I was him. No, I'm content. That is, I am living inside shalom. And whatever my circumstances, he said, whatever. Circumstances don't dictate to me how I feel. Circumstances do not Announce my identity. I am this man in Christ. You are that woman, Christ in you. And you're in the circumstance, but you're going through it, you see. You're, and you're, uh, part, the first reaction is, I'm at peace. So he goes on, Paul says in Philippians 4, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. It says, you see, the circumstances don't matter. Sometimes, he says, I've got a dollar left in my, my billfold. Other times, I, I've got 200. It, 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 that's got nothing to do with who I am. It's got nothing to do with whether I'm at peace or not. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. See, it doesn't matter. I, I've, I've learned the secret of living in the middle of ever-changing circumstances, but I am at peace in the midst of it. I know both having abundance and suffering need. Then he says, and many people begin the text here. No, you've got to read all that other stuff that I just read. He goes on, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The all things that he can do is to live in the middle of whatever circumstances are coming down the pike. He he can live there. And he can live there because he's living from. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, And the idea there, he is my strength. He is how I look at life. And he's always enough. And therefore, whatever happens, it cannot affect that peace. For I've cast the care upon him. He now is my ability. The Amplified New Testament, which um, is accepted by almost every evangelical church anyway, charismatic church, uh, by which I mean I'm not going off in left field here, they, they, in the Amplified New Testament, it, it amplifies, it spins out what the Greek language is truly saying. And have a go at this one. The Amplified for Philippians chapter 4 that we just read. 
where, where we read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, the Amplified, that is, this is what the Greek is really saying. He says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me, which means I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Wow. I say, we need a whole webinar on that. But that, you say, what, what happened to my care? I gave it to him. Yes, and he gives you his strength. He gives you his insight and eyesight to see what's really going on here. Hmm. I, I, I went to pick up a box the other day and, well, uh, frankly, it was so heavy I couldn't get it off the ground. And I had my arms around it, and, and I knew I, I felt my, my own weakness in terms of I, I can't do this. And, and a young chap came over and um, picked up the box, almost you know under his arm, and, and said, is there anything else? And, uh, well, see, really and truly, the whole issue was not about how much the box weighed. I said the box was so heavy, I couldn't lift it. But this other chap came, and he lifted it like it was a feather. So, was the box heavy or not? It all depends how strong you are as to whether this is heavy or not. To that young chap, it wasn't heavy. To me, it was heavy. So it had nothing to do with the box. It had everything to do that he had a lot more strength than me. And so then we define the box according to our strength. Do, do you get what I mean? Okay, do you get what this means? I cast my care upon him. He now becomes my strength to see this same situation, but in a totally different way. He puts his strength, he puts his mind, his seeing it into me. Huh. You know the very first step <clears throat> in casting your care upon him, when you're beginning to come with me now, we... We stand in awe and we worship him. That is, that's it. Because, see, this isn't a formula. This isn't something that you get in a self-help book. This is a personal relationship in which you're now in the act of relating and exchanging. And so... The very first, the beginnings of this is worship. As you realize in awe and wonder. <laughs> oh, this isn't just a matter of, of, of bills and, and handling all that work you have to do. No, that's, this is about knowing him in a way maybe you've never known him before, and to actually know his strength becoming your strength and his wisdom, your wisdom, 
and worship. And of course, standing in awe and worship, I think I've told you this before, but, and this is in Webster's Dictionary, so I'm not again going off in left field. The word fear is a neutral word. We always think of it as, you know, panic and terror, anxiety. But no, fear depends on what you're looking at and how you're looking at it. And so the Old Testament, uh, one of its most common phrases is the fear of the Lord. And that doesn't mean that you're scared spitless of God. It doesn't mean that you're terrified of Him. To fear God means you stand in awe and wonder and worship. See, if, if you replace God with some power of satanic lie about a situation or see a situation based solely on your strength, then you fear, but your fear is a, a fear of panic, of terror. Um, you stand in awe of that situation because you're terrified it's going to hurt you. But see, the word fear, it all depends on what you're looking at and what you see and believe. So if you look at God and believe in His love and know of His desire to be all that you need in this situation, then you fear Him. That is, you stand in awe of Him and peace and joy flood your being. Anxiety is you've, you've been looking at the situation as if it's all-powerful and it's going to destroy you and this is the end of the road and there's no... And you fear it. That is, you stand in awe of it. You stand in wonder of this monster that's going to destroy you. You're like a deer caught in the headlights. It's a form of worship, actually. Um, and so then fear becomes the anxiety and the panic. When we stand before him and realize he cares for us, I've cast my care upon him. He cares for me, and he's now working in my life. Walking in the situation, we stand in awe, worship. He defines us, you see. He defines us, as Paul said. doesn't matter what's happening out there. I am content. We're not controlled by our sense feelings. We have moved to trust Him. There's a verse or an expression in the Old Testament, uh, more than one, but I picked one, Psalm 34, 3, where it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Magnify. Uh, have you noticed in anxiety, people exaggerate? I, I, yeah, I call them drama queens, you know. Um, so it, it gets annoying to listen to them, how, how they exaggerate the negative. Um, I mean, they, they weren't just behind a few cars. It was a traffic jam that lasted 10 hours. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and they say it was so bad I nearly died. No, 
exaggeration. It always goes with anxiety because if if you become hooked on anxiety, you know, addicted to it, then you become you get a rush out of being a victim. So so you need to exaggerate, make it really look bad, really look bad. It wasn't a hundred. Uh, temperature you had, no, no, what was that, 105, that, yeah, you nearly died, yeah, right. No, it's not exaggeration. And you don't have to exaggerate with this incredible God who loves you. Um, no, no need to exaggerate. But we do magnify the Lord. That, that's a different matter, magnifying. That, that's making who he is, no more than he is, but making who he is large. So you can see clearly that which otherwise poor eyesight has not seen, or maybe being clouded by the senses. But now you magnify. You see, this is who God really is. This is it. See, how many people in anxiety say, oh, God, help me. Well, no, I, I don't. Well, we just leave that. Uh, I, I'm saying this is worship. This is realizing he is. He is my comfort. He is my strength. Like a microscope, which magnifies the hidden secrets of what would otherwise be invisible to my eye. Or like the Hubble telescope that opens up the entire universe with hidden secrets to be revealed. Yes, magnify. Magnify the Lord with me. Looking through that Hubble telescope, what was a white speck in the sky actually ended up to be a galaxy of a thousand colors. Now we see him. He's working in the micro of my life. He's working in the macro of my history. I'm seeing his covenant blessing and favor with me now. Well, I still haven't finished. And so we will finish this next week. Because I I want to go into greater detail of how this transforms our, our life But right now, I I want you, I want you to do this. This is not just a sort of, isn't it, an interesting teaching. This isn't being students looking at a blackboard and saying, well, that's wonderful. I, I said at the beginning, this is healing. When you see the love of God and the goodness of God, and that is all He is, and He is in all things in your life. That brings the deepest healing to your innermost person. And it spreads beautifully into your mind and emotions and way you look at life. So, let's pray this verse into our lives. To take our place as creature humans. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast our care upon Him and know His exaltation within His care as we sit down with Him and see life from seated with Him in heavenly places. May this be the beginning of the healing of your life. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit now bless you with eyes wide open to his care. I bless you in the casting of your care upon him that you shall begin to know his presence filling your heart and life with a new seeing and a new peace and a new joy and a new contentment. So I bless you. That is the way it is.